Today is Friday, October 8th, 2021. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Ralph Waldo Emerson. You're listening to episode 263, The Mind-Body Connection with Dr. Sam Gerstein. So he's recognizing these thoughts that he's having now, and people should recognize that your listeners, when they have thoughts now, I'm not good enough, I'm a, it's not happening now. It's actually happened years ago. It just rebroadcasts, so it sounds like it's now. Mm-hmm. And it's our own inner voice, so we can't tell it's from years ago. It just sounds like the same voice I've had for 20, 30, 40 years. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Happy Friday to you. Hope you're having a healthy and happy and stress-free Friday. If that's not the case, if you are stressed out, then hopefully they will give you some tools to make that better. You know, stress is the ultimate killer, so you want to spend as little time there as possible. My guest today is a former chief of the emergency department and now-turned-entrepreneur, Dr. Sam Gerstein. He saw the toll work stress takes on people's life, and he pivoted his practice to focus on the total mind-body connection, the mental and emotional aspects of health. In the last 12 years, he has helped entrepreneurs at heart to first manage their work stress and burnout, and then guided them to move out of the jobs they hated and discover and start their own custom-fit businesses. In his highly acclaimed book, Live Your Dreams, Doctor's Orders, Dr. Sam highlights the stories of 40 people who overcame their fears to start their own businesses. He shared his passion of redefining work on Slice TV and Zoomer Radio. As a business strategy coach, he's now created online programs to help even more entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs at heart overcome the blocks that have been preventing them from successfully pursuing their own side hustles and businesses. If you want to go connect with Dr. Sam, we have a link that I'm going to post on the show notes for this episode. Again, it's episode 263 to take a work stress test, free work stress test. They can evaluate a couple different parameters in your own situation and see where you're at. So you can, I'll put the, it's a longer link, so I'll put the link on the show notes for this. You can go access the show notes at danceoflife.com slash podcast, as well as subscribe for regular updates there. Excited to have Dr. Sam on the show today. You know, we're going to be talking about his own journey from being in the emergency room and transferring into a more entrepreneurial role and how that whole thing shaped up for him and the impacts as well of stress and burnout on everyday life and what he's learned from his extensive experience with his book, with his entrepreneurial efforts, with his own experience as a doctor in a very high stress environment. And basically what strategies what can we employ on an everyday basis to create the life that we want to live, right? That's what it's all about is really 
How do we manage the stress? Because you can't avoid stress, but how do we manage it? How do we recover from burnout as effectively as possible? How do we prevent burnout as much as possible so that we can really create what we want out of life? That's the key. Very excited to jump into this. Obviously, a very relevant topic, always relevant, stress and burnout. But before we do that, make sure you subscribe, share, leave a review, like, emoji, blow a kiss, smile, whatever it is you want to do today. Send it on over and away we go. Let's do this. Episode 263, The Mind-Body Connection with Dr. Sam Gerstein. All right, man. Well, hey, uh, one more time. It's good to have you on the show. I'm so excited. You know, we started chatting a little bit uh, before the episode here about your experiences being chief of the ER. I can't even imagine you were telling me that story if you want to repeat it a little bit, but that's just crazy. That is a crazy uh, amount of stress that you had to deal with. So I'm curious, you know, if you want to share that story you were telling me earlier, I think that's just, uh, that's worth sharing for sure. But welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tudor. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, the last 12 years, I, I left the ER about 12, 13 years ago. But at the time, you know, at the time, year 20, 25 years ago, I was sometimes I was often by myself in the midnight shift. And and really, whatever came in the door, I had to handle. So one night, I'll never forget this. And being away from it, I could look at it from a distance. But at the time, I thought, OK, this is just normal. They brought in three patients within two minutes of each other each in a severe distress, one heart wasn't beating well, the other heart failure, the other seizing. And I had to really go from one patient to the other to the next one. And I said, okay, just do it, deal with it. And only now looking back, I went, really? That's what I went through? And, and this is my colleagues in emergency. They do this. It's, um, and it, it's just a different experience doing what I'm doing now than what I did for years in emergency. Over 20 years, I did that. I mean, yeah, I had not a, every shift was like that, but, you know. I mean, it's definitely a, a level of desensitization you have to have. I remember I had a friend who was a, a surgeon. Uh, she was, I think, a gastro surgeon. And, I mean, you know, she'd come in and she would do her personal training or whatever other sessions. She'd talk about her last night's, you know, cases, whatever. And, you know, somebody died on the operating table. It's like, well, okay deal with that. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine that. I mean, I've had some crazy situations in my life too, but definitely never been uh, responsible for somebody's life like that. I mean, that's just, that's a huge responsibility. And I think there's a, there's a growing rate of, I mean, physician suicide resilience is a big topic in the medical community. I have a lot of friends who are doctors. And so I think all this stuff is very relevant to talk about burnout and recovery. It's so important. Yeah. And, and- you know, it's good to have some some dark humor about it. Some people joke it that way, and they're able to keep it, like you said, a little a little distant from themselves. But equally as important is to open up, and which I do now. My I feel and say, you know what? I I I I feel hurt. I feel sad. I lost that patient. It hurts. But you know, in medicine, it was like always taught for a doctor to be stoic. And but you know, yeah, you got to go to your colleagues and open up. Sometimes it's okay. We're just human. What was the point for you where you decided to make the switch from, you know, being 
very high up in the the ER field and sort of that whole department. Obviously, you did that for 20 years. It's a very long time to doing what you're doing now and, and coaching people, helping them recover from burnout, making the transition from jobs they hate. How did that whole transition happen for you? I guess I was always in high school, I was always the why guy, you know, like mm-hmm. I remember my physics teacher said, you're always asking why, Sam. And I always want to know why behind things. That's, that's my nature. After years of emergency, maybe 15, I started noticing some repeats, you know, the patients. And I started wondering, why do these people come back and not others? And I started asking them, any, what's going on in your life? You know, as I'm stitching them, suturing them, as I'm, you know, re- reducing their ankle fracture and talking about their a heart attack, I'd say, what's going on in your life? Any stressors? And over and over again, I started noticing that work stress came up as a pattern over and over again. And, I, and then I went to the library in the hospital and I started researching work stress and I got really interested in it. And I started doing some talks around Toronto, and my, my, my home city about work stress. And then I said, you know what, after about another couple of years, because this, this thing, it's a process, it takes a little time. Yeah. I said, I'm really interested in maybe I can focus on that as a practice. You know, I, I can get them before they come to emerge. And it, it takes some years to develop this a physical reactions to stress. And some of the research I found, well, did you know that over two thirds, about two thirds of patients that present to emergency departments have stress-related or stress-induced illnesses or accidents. Did you know that? Wow. No, that's. I know there's a lot of people who go for like panic attacks and all kinds of different disorders related to stress. It's even yeah. like more than that. It's even even you know, heart disease, heart attacks, high blood pressure, yeah. even things you wouldn't suspect like stomach problems, heartburn, rashes, even you know, our joint problems and back aches, migraines. A lot of this can be stress-induced. Wow. And I looked it up once. I couldn't believe it. Even accidents. We call it accidents. But I looked at my charts one year and the most accidents I saw were Monday mornings. Mm. So these were accidents. These are people disengaged at work, not focusing, not wanting to be there. And there, well, I had one guy cut off three of his fingers on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a blade because he wasn't paying attention. It was, that's not an accident. Wow. wow. He, he, and, and the latest Gallup uh, study, which included about 180 countries, a couple of years ago showed about 70% of Canadians, North Americans, about 66, 70% are disengaged at work. 70%. Isn't it something where like uh, the amount of work that's actually done in an eight hour day is something like, I don't know, an hour and a half or something like that. I don't remember what the exact statistic is, oh. but productivity is like very, very small percentage of what people actually do at work. And that doesn't <laughs> surprise me with over two thirds disengaged, they're looking for something else, maybe scrolling through their phone or, but it's, a, so it's not surprising when you see this number of accidents that happen Mondays that they're not engaged in what they're doing. Hmm. That's so really- that really got me interested. And I, and I started slowly getting into, involved in the mind, interested in the mind, taking courses, reading about it. And it took me a couple of years transition to shift over to counseling and really uh, leaving the emergency department a couple of years to shift completely to uh, the mind body. Now I call it the mind body because whatever happens, whatever happens in your mind happens in your body too. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it's uh, there's so much literature on that and just, it's, it's really quite fascinating. I was just talking to somebody about the placebo connection 
and the last book I wrote, there was a lot of research that I put in one of the chapters for the placebo. I was just looking through all the research and it's really fascinating. I mean, you know, we don't even know how or why that happens, but it's just a testament to the power of the mind. And uh, there's the nocebo effect too, right? I mean, there's basically right. uh, both ways. It can, it's a double-edged right. blade, you know? So it's really, it's really, really fascinating stuff. And, I, and I'm really excited by all the latest in neuroscience showing us the connections between the mind and the body. It's a fascinating area now that I'm in. I just love reading about it. And this is my passion. You can tell the way I speak about it. You know, emergency was a profession for me. This is my passion. This is what I yeah. love to do. That's really cool. I mean, I think a lot of doctors are, I would say like the traditional route, they're realizing the more important, the more and more the importance of that mind-body connection. You know, we have kind of structured our current system largely around specialty and sort of acute situations. And, uh, you know, I think that all these old ways of looking at things, I mean, from shamans to, you know, whatever, I mean, they were always looking at the whole body, you know, whole mind, whole spirit, uh, you know, and I think that when you as a doctor can incorporate that or anybody really, I mean, honestly, anybody I think in the business of helping other people, whether you're a health coach or doesn't matter really, I think when you can look at everything and see how things are related to one another, uh, that that can make a really big difference, you know, in, in the overall effect. Oh, sure. I remember having a patient, uh, one of my clients, um, every time she talked about her mother, her, she had a, uh, a real frictional relationship with her mother growing up. I noticed she, she started reading Restless on the couch when I was, you know, before COVID-19, when I was actually seeing people in my office. Yeah. And she started being restless. I said, what's going on? And she said, nothing, you know. And she'd come in and complain of shoulder pain. And I said, you know what? When you, when you talk about your mother, your shoulder hurts. She goes, no. And one time I caught her right in the middle of it. She goes, I can't believe it. I've had shoulder pain for years. You're right. This is, and she noticed the connection. And I, and I worked with her and helping her resolve her relationship with her mother and her shoulder pain improved over that year. That's crazy. Wow. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's so much. Uh, have you ever heard about the emotion, the emotion code? Uh, no, not familiar with that. That's, you might really dig that. It's a really interesting, it's a, it's a whole program. It? You can, you can get training in it, but it's a book too. It's by Bradley Nelson, I believe. Okay. And it? Uh, recently it got endorsed by Tony Robbins and all this kind of stuff. Oh. But it's, it's a way of basically, um, I mean, it's going to sound really woo-woo kind of stuff, but the practitioner basically helps you clear negative emotional patterns from your, from your body. And okay. uh, so, some people get training in the body code, which is the next level. And they kind of do, you know, more high level stuff where they identify more specific areas in the body. But the basic emotion code, the principle is, you know, we have certain emotions like this lady you just described where we store them, you know, in our body, our body is kind of like a hard drive, you know, it's sure, this complex sure. hard drive. And, uh, I have a friend, <clears throat> I have a friend that I always talk about Lee and she's been doing it for a while. And she always tells me like so many stories of people who she helped basically clear these emotions, uh, through this process. And it's not, like cognitive behavioral therapy or anything where people have to identify anything. Yeah. It's just this sort of, uh, it's more intuitive. I mean, again, it's kind of hard to explain. It sounds really woo, but it really does work if you're open to it. And uh, she's helped some people. I, I remember I referred somebody over to her one time, one of my friends, and this person had like crazy, crazy migraines for, I don't know how long, years, maybe 15 years or something. And, you know, they weren't able to find anything. And after, 
some sessions with Lee and sort of identifying certain, you know, patterns or sort of maybe unresolved trauma. Uh, and again, it's not the type where you sit and overanalyze yourself, but sort of like, okay, I'm just letting go of that anger or that, that, uh, you know, sure. sadness or whatever that was stuck in there that we identified. Sure. I mean, it's so crazy to see that some of these things actually get resolved, you know, and, yeah. you know, just from identifying it and letting it go. So it's so interesting. I don't know that emotion code, but I, I did. I, I do have a created my own process uh, where I involved several different um, methodologies, and I, I use it to. I got three. I, I'd say people have really three parts of them: their true self, which they're born with, <clears throat> that curious, engaged, uh, connected, wants to reach out, um, just in the flow kind of part, creative. Yeah. And then because of things that happened in childhood with parents, with culture ancestral injury we get uh, a pain part of us and the pain is hurting it's like this really big fear the biggest fear we have in ourselves such as i'm not good enough a very common one i have in my practice not just my practice out in the world and that pain is so much it can happen at two or three years old really early in life it's too much for us to handle so we create subconsciously a third part and and i call it the body the personal bodyguards um it's also people's blind spots. Mm. So I help people understand their true self. They come in, they're often living in their blind spots, their bodyguards. And I help them get back in touch with their true self and, and let that true self connect with these parts and heal that part from the inside out. So it's kind of on the, on the along the lines we're talking about emotion, but <clears throat> sorry, I use the emotions, the physical part of the body and the thinking in the process. So it's not just thinking like CBT. It uses the whole mind and body. And I've had pretty good results with this when I put it all together the last few years. That's cool, man. Yeah. I, uh, that reminds me of another program. One of my other friends is doing where it's similar thing. Like they involve, you know, when we, and I'm sure you know all about this, but like when we, have a traumatic experience, our brain has multiple ways that it encodes that information. It's not just, you know, a linguistic, obviously there's a language component to it that you say to yourself, but there's also sort of a place on your body. There's a tension, there's, you know, a feeling there's, you know, all these different things. And so when you can kind of uh, work with all those dimensions, he's had some, I mean, I think he's worked with some PTSD people and like literally in one or two sessions, they're most of the time, obviously there's exceptions, but most of the time they're they're cured from it. They're healed. You know, they're functional again. So it's pretty profound what you can do when you're really working with the whole system and not just, right. you know, not just the language part of the mind. And, and that's one of the advantages of working emerge all those years. I recognize the soma, the body, how the body responds. And I can recognize, Oh, look, this person is now shutting down, mm. which is the vagal part of their, of their nervous system. And I'm, instead of talking more, I just be quiet and I work with the body physically. I say, look at this, you're shutting down. Can you see it? And we work the body to get back up to where they can listen. Because subconsciously, it's called hijack. They being hijacked by their mm-hmm. subconscious. There's no point. Like you see two people arguing, a couple. After a while, if they're both hot, they're both aggressive, they're not thinking anymore. They're just yeah. subconsciously playing their old pattern. Yeah. So at that time, I even tell my, some of my clients, you know, when they have these hot arguments with their, with their loved ones, I say, going on, talk about logically making another point. And I've done this myself, just one more point, and then she'll get it. No, they won't. So instead <laughs> of making that one last point, say, you know what? I'm not really making a lot of sense. We're not going to hear each other. Let me go away. I'm coming back. 
it's important to tell them they're coming back so you don't think they're abandoning them. And I do the process that I help them with, the methodology, and they come back in a few minutes, back into their true self, and they talk from there. Now, I find it only takes one par partner in their true self to open up a discussion again, and the other one will kind of sync with that one and calm down. But don't say, just a, as, a, as a little advice, do not say when people really hot to calm down. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, yeah, that boils work. my blood. If anybody's telling me to calm down when I'm upset. <laughs> That's like, right. That's yeah. because it's not really in the head. We're not doing it. It's subconsciously yeah. happening. So instead of that, I tell people, just breathe at a rate with them and breathe looking at them with, with uh, love and admiration and breathe slowly breathe, and they will hear that instead of saying it. You, you mentioned blind spots and I want to touch on that really quick because I think that's, that's such an important thing to be aware of for people who maybe haven't heard that term or understand what you're referring to. Can you explain what is a blind spot? How do you work to identify them in your life? Why is that? Why are they important? That kind of thing. Okay. I, I use it interchangeably, personal bodyguards or mental blind spots. And because I, I love working with entrepreneurs, you're an entrepreneur. You know, I, I think entrepreneurs to me are the backbone of the economy. You know, I just love the, 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 um, the enthusiasm, the creativity, the innovation of entrepreneurs. And they, they supply jobs for other people. So working with entrepreneurs, I called it now the business blind spots or the mental blind spots where they're doing something and they can't see it and they keep doing something. So, so I have, give you an example. I had a, um, a client and she started her own high fashion clothing uh, line. And she, she started from scratch. She was building it up. She's doing really well until she got to a point, a ceiling, a revenue ceiling, and she couldn't get past it. So someone said, why don't you see, you know, Dr. Sam? And she came to me and, and after talking with her for several sessions, I said, well, why can't you get past her? And she told me all the business reasons. Well, maybe I'm not marketing. Maybe I'm not doing this right. Maybe I, I should spend more money in inventory and all the business stuff. And I said to her after several, so I said, you know, I don't think that, I don't think you have a problem there. I think you're very smart business-wise. I think your blind spot stopping you. Hmm. And she said, what do you mean blind spot? And I, I said, well, recently you told, she told me about, well, she's got a great idea for a new line. And she's having trouble raising capital because her revenue is at a ceiling and she's having trouble getting loans. I looked at her, I said, you have, you told me before, you have under about $100,000 in accounts receivable. You're not collecting. This is your blind wow. spot. And I said, this is avoiding confrontation. That's your mm. blind spot. And she goes, what? I said, yeah, this is what's happening. And at 39 years old, she never knew this. She never could see it. And a lot of entrepreneurs do that. They drive, they push, and they push at areas that is not the issue. So finally, when she heard it and she really heard my message, and she says, oh, I got to overcome it. I go, not necessarily. You have to find a way in your business to delegate it, to get someone else, to collect the receivables. You don't have to be the one all the time. It doesn't have to be you. Right. So she started hiring people to cover her blind spots, especially this one. She collected over, you know, half of that money uh, receivable very quickly after she hired someone. And within two and a half years, her revenue tripled and her profits doubled. Wow. Her revenue tripled and her profits That's doubled after two and a half years. In two years? Just helping her release that blind spot. Wow. 
So I'm not, I'm, I'm not a business, I don't focus on business skills. That's not my strength. But I've noticed with my entrepreneurs, most of the problems they come to me with is a blind spot. It's not a business skill issue. It's- that's, that's so true because honestly, I, I'm of the same belief because ultimately skills and, you know, hacks and things that you're doing, I mean, you can always learn those things, but at the end of the day, like the core of who we are is what we believe, you know, what you believe determines your thoughts, your actions, and it just ripples outward. So you could have, I mean, you can go to the best seminar in the world, but if you still believe fundamentally that you don't have self-worth or you believe that maybe, you know, uh, whatever, that people don't want to talk to you, then it doesn't matter what tools you're given because you're just right. not going to take action on them. You're right. Totally right. You know? That's right. And that's why there's a limit to, to, to thinking, to, to knowledge. You know, there's a whole, I see, I see captions on Facebook, you know, like, you know, um, change your thinking, change your life. And I went, no, 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 not so fast. Cause you're, you're discounting the emotional part of your body, your, your physical part of your body. I, you know, I got several clients when they get into a real, um, face a real angry customer, really aggressive customer, they freeze. Now you can talk to them all the methods they can, but it's the freezing isn't a conscious thing they decided on. They mm-hmm. just freeze. So I help them move their, I help them teach them how to move your body first, and then that'll change the emotions. And then you will think clearly. It's I call it bottom up work. You can't go top down. You can't think better until you can move out of that state where you're hijacked from your subconscious. Yeah, and it's so true because emotion, any kind of emotional, I mean, uh, the 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 cortex or whatever, the neocortex, all that higher level processing stuff right. is so uh, calorie intensive. It's so fragile. It's so you know complex that uh, literally, I mean, it it requires so much. It's like a computer. I think you know, a computer like a giant you know, processor and you need like all this coolant, you know, cooling technology to keep it cool. Otherwise it's going to blow up and you know, your brain is the same way unless it's cool metaphorically, obviously. And right. actually, you know, there's some truth to that too. Like in uh, you probably know this, but in some of the Eastern traditions, they only say uh, water up, fire down, you know, water right. up, meaning the, the, the cool, they always try like in, Ch- in Chinese medicine, they always try to balance, uh, you know, all the heat to go down in the body, like in the center where the okay. digestion happens okay. and, and to take away heat from the head, you know, because that's the inversion of that is oh. associated to the stress. Basically when you have a hot head, you okay. think about it, well, it, it stops your digestion. So your stomach gets cold, you know, so, you know, it, it sort of inverts the the blood supply. And so a lot of Eastern medicine is centered around that fundamental idea, but there's some truth to it. I mean, when you have all that heat going on in your head and there's yeah, it's making the processing much slower and you're not able to think clearly. You're literally able, you're not yeah. able to see what's possible. You know, you're not able to yeah. process and be creative. Exactly. And even, even like before I give talks or before I came on with you, you know, I, I'm not going to talk to myself, you know, be calm, be relaxed. No, because the thinking brain is slower than the emotional brain, the physical brain. So what I do, I love dancing. I know you love dancing, but I yeah, love dancing. Nice. I what put on music. I started dancing for five minutes before I came on with you. So I'm in a, a mood now. To, I'm in an excited, energized mood to talk to you. And it's not a thinking thing. And I help my clients do these steps. It was, I call it three, a methodology, just three steps away, as in you're just three steps away from calm, confidence, and clarity. You're always yeah. just three steps away. So this is the first step is move your body in that way. 
Like, what did you do before you did your performances, a dance performance, a dance contest or something? What would, what would you do? Yeah, that's, you know, that's 100% I agree with you. And I think uh, from my background as an athlete, I can definitely relate to that. And I've always found value in changing your state physically because you have to, you know, there's a bottom-up approach where you have to start with your body that's connected to the ground. We're literally connected to the ground. We're not right. hovering, you know? Yeah. And so I, I've always found... Uh, when I used to train really hard and used to train people to perform that our confidence is actually directly related to our sense of our body weight, you know? So for example, somebody who uh, I'll give you an example and there's, there's a lot we can talk about this, but you know, I used to train a lot of women, obviously women would come in a lot more than men, you know, to, to do training for dancing. And one of the biggest things with women was how do you dance in heels? you know, heels are, are not easy to dance in because they're very, uh, you know, skinny. They put your weight basically off, you know, your hips are a little more forward, especially if you're doing three inch heels, right. you know, so all the confidence that you got in yourself basically to, to feel your body weight, as soon as you put heels on, you don't feel confident anymore because you feel unsteady. You feel this disconnection between your inherent center of gravity yourself and the ground. And when you have confidence in your body weight movement, uh, you know, there's that sense of poise, that sense of grace. And so a lot of it was just teaching, believe it or not, people how to relax because when we're not relaxed, we're tense. And we're, when we're tense, we're not able to connect our body weight to the ground. And so I, I could tell you that most of my lessons, at least after the introductory, you know, let's throw some bells and whistles and laugh and giggle, you know, that kind of stuff. When you actually start learning to dance, most of the work was really just teaching people how to relax so that they could connect their body weight into the ground. And so to your point, yeah, before an event, before a, a competition, um, you know, we'd always do just different warm up exercises, you know, get the first thing was circulation for me. So the first thing uh, was basically, okay, I need to get hot in the sense of like, I need to get the blood pumping through my body so that I elevate my temperature. Uh, yeah. And when, because what happens is when you're cold, you also kind of like, and you're in, you're sort of like uh, at rest, you're not alert. You know, there's sort of two levels of presence that I've found. And I relate them to actually the different um, ways that we can stand. So for example, if you're standing around waiting for the bus and, you know, we all, most of us drive, so maybe that's not a bad example, but imagine you're standing, standing around waiting for something. Well, if you're just standing around, just relaxed, generally we would say you're at rest. And so your body weight is more neutral kind of in the middle of your feet. You know, okay. so you're not really anticipating anything. So that would be a level of presence that is very relaxed. Like it would be, you're going out in nature and just maybe sitting down and just enjoying yourself. And you're not really necessarily uh, alert. You're not looking for predators. You're just, you're just enjoying, you know, there's a certain level of presence there. And that's, that's a type of presence. And then there's another type of presence that I learned from my experience as an athlete, which I call readiness, which is, you know, if I was basically now, Stand, I'll use the bus example, whatever. If you don't ride the bus, that's fine. We all rode the bus at some point. But if you're waiting around for the bus and you now see the bus turn the corner, it's coming at the bus stops. What do you do? You start pitching your weight slightly forward over the balls of your feet and your calves start tensing up. You know, your blood pressure might change a little bit. You get a little more alert. You get more focused. And so you're still very present, but this is now, you know, you're focused, you're, you're alert. Your, your heart is kind of anticipating. Maybe you got some adrenaline going. I don't know. So this is to me the first stage where you need to get to with your body before you do anything. And, uh, you know, in dancing, we would always have to 
practice getting into that readiness stage. Like how am I ready to practice today? Am I ready to stretch? Am I ready to, you know, move around and, and throw my body in all these different positions. So you have to get in that readiness phase because otherwise, if you're not ready, you can't really move. You know, when you move from foot to foot, you go through that phase naturally, you throw yourself forward, right. you know, and you get into it. But yeah, so I can definitely relate to everything you're saying. You, you had your athletes or you did it yourself, go on more forward leaning on the balls of your foot. That's how you prepared too, to get to, 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 to before. Yeah. I mean, really any kind of sport, if you look at it, I mean, depends, you know, every sport is slightly different, but in general, when you have your weight over the ball of your feet, right. and people can try this at home. If you have your weight over the back, over your heels, you can't flex your calf muscles. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they disable the calf muscles. So, you know, most sports will have positions of readiness where, I mean, I, I always akin it to, you know, I used to have a German shepherd when I was a kid and dogs are great at this. Animals are just very pure. They don't think too much, you know, in that sense. They, they, they don't have this cognitive, you know, storyteller in their brain all the time. But I used to play with my dog in the yard and, you know, you'd see him, he had this favorite toy. It was just this deflated basketball. It's just this <laughs> ridiculous ball. And every time I was ready to kick it, he would just pitch forward and he'd get his chest right over his paws and his paws would dig in the dirt, yeah. you know, and he gets that readiness, that anticipation, you know? And so every, every phase of movement, it, whether it's a sport, whether it's, you're just yeah. moving, you always have to go through that, that uh, readiness stage. You can't just skip from being totally relaxed to being in momentum. You right. have to go through that right yeah. stage. And, and, and you're right. And, and depending on the uh, blind spot my clients are in. So if their blind spot is like very anxious, you know, hot, like as you said, racing thoughts, high heart rate, short of breath, you know, we move to the breath, we move to the body. I have them do things that will decrease the heat, decrease the heart rate to calm them, not to physically, not to say it, but to do it physically versus some clients when they get, challenge or when they when they have this big project to do i can't start dr sam i just did nothing i, I watched six hours of netflix on the weekend mm. and they're really i have them move up breathe up high in the chest move their body reach up look up and it's the energy flows you know where the where the emotion goes where the energy flows and so they yeah. they're up and they're physically moving their body faster and they feel better but the number of people that come in used to come to my office and they say, I don't know. I don't feel like a lot of doing a lot today, Dr. Sam. I, I, we're not going to have a good session. All right. All right. Let's get up. What do you mean? I just told you I'm tired. I go, let's get up. I'll put some music on and we'll dance. And they laugh at me. You know, they, but they laugh, but they ended up at the end of the session. Invariably, they'll say, that was better than I thought. I was because you're, I said, because you're thinking. We're not. We're emotional beings. We're not logical beings. So. That's so, you know, it's so funny. I can totally relate to that. And you brought up something very important, which is that uh, I found this in my own experience. It's so funny how we have, you know, different backgrounds, but we still come to the same perspectives. You know, it's so interesting, but I, I've always That's why found I, liked, that, I liked when I read your background. I liked it. it was... Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's all energy in the end, right? I mean, you know, like you said, where emotion goes, energy flows. And really, I think, you know, it's very obvious from your experience that you've learned to to read energy, to work in the energy world, to understand that. And once you understand that, you understand everything. I mean, it's all the same, you know? So in my experience, when, when I was really teaching a lot of people, uh, you know, how to move and stuff, I always found that there were the same thing, two types of people, which is you've got the people who are naturally more forward, right? More aggressive, more, you know, ready type A, that type of thing. And you've got sort of the more, uh, you know, 
feminine slash structure oriented, detail oriented, berry picker, whatever you want to call it. Uh, people who are sort of backweighted in that sense. And it's so funny because I could tell you what type of person they were just by literally having them walk across the room and how you walk, you know, based on how you carry your weight, whether it's too forward or too back, I can know exactly what sort of paradigm you fall into. And so based on that paradigm, I'd have to customize, okay, how do we work together? Because the right. funny thing is, and, and you know this as well, is that when that person is stressed, that's when that inherent nature will reveal itself, right. that survival mechanism. Whether If you're a pusher, I put you in a competition or a stressful environment, you're going to push even harder. You're going to be early on the music. You're going to push yourself, you know, right. uh, too soon. You'll be tensing your muscles like crazy, you know, whatever. Or if you're the opposite, you'll just totally wash out. You'll relax. You'll, you'll, you'll be late, you know? So it's so interesting to see these energy patterns. Uh, and, but it's good that you, did you see that? Because ultimately I think one thing that I haven't seen too much in the, personal growth space is, you know, we're attracted to these sort of one size fits all hacks and, you know, whatever, just, just these one liners of, of success. But I feel that it's really, it's acknowledging what is your inherent behavior? Are you, what, what side of the spectrum are you on? How do you respond to life? Because everybody responds to life either, like I said, one way or the other and understanding which way you are and embracing the opposite uh, qualities, you know, opposite wisdom you know, if you're, if you're too laid back, you're understanding what does it be like to be aggressive and to take more action, yeah. to be more courageous, you know, understanding those opposites is so, so important. That's duality. And I think that's, that's so key. That's a great point. Uh, two points I want to make one, you know, a good teacher. It sounds like you're a good teacher because good teachers notice distinctions in their clients and, and customize it to their clients. Like bad teachers just do the same thing for everybody. So that's great that you do that. You know, you notice these things and, you know, my client said, you must be bored. You hear all this stuff. People are I go, no, everybody's different. They're all unique in how they show their stresses. It's not boring to me at all. Yeah. Um, what was the second thing I was going to say? Um, I forgot. Oh, sorry. <laughs> It'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. That's okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's really funny. I mean, I, I always liked working with beginners because <clears throat> a lot of people, like you said, at least my industry, I don't teach so much anymore. Uh, of the dancing stuff, obviously with the whole COVID thing that uh, everybody who was in my industry, pretty much they suffered quite a bit. And so for me, I just took it as an opportunity to repivot and do some different things. But uh, you know, I still, every now and then just for fun, I do. And um, you know, I, I always loved working with beginners much, much more because it was like, you're discovering these principles all over again with, with a whole new person, you know, even though some yeah. people from the outside might say, Oh, well, you just teach them the same steps again. It's like, well, it's not the same steps because yeah you know, they have their own unique way of relating to those steps, right. you know? And so that's the fun part for me is figuring out how can I get this person to, to, to see what they need to see? You know, it's a puzzle. So that's always been right. interesting. And, you know, I, I've done this for 12 years now. I'm just as excited now about seeing clients as I was 12 years ago. And yeah. I, I look forward to Monday mornings. Oh, I remember what I was going to talk about. Yeah. So me, you talked about, you know, the two types of people I tend to get withdrawn or get quiet and cool when I get too, too stressed or I get triggered. That's my nature. That's my blind spot. So by recognizing it, you got to be self-aware too, if you're doing this work, I now have to push myself a little, even when I don't feel like it. So my head, my thinking brain says, no, you don't feel like it. Like it's so take it easy. You work really hard. I go, thank you very much, thinking, Britain. No, but I'm going to push my, and I know I will feel better once I do it, but I can't listen to my logic because my 
this logic isn't logical. It's actually subconscious. What I was taught 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. So that, this is the problem. The real big problem tutor people hear what they're saying in their head. Like I, I have you know, a few clients right now this week. I'm not good enough. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. These are three comments from my clients literally telling me this this week. Now they think, cause they say it, they think, Okay, here's a justification, Dr. Sam. Here, my boss told me this. I, I screwed up on this presentation. I made a mistake here. Like I made a mistake right now with you, right? I forgot something. And I'll, this would devastate some of my clients. And I, I told them, I make mistakes too. It's good, it's good that they're going to hear this because yeah. it's so serious. So, you know, but it's not happening now. This happened when they were five, six. I have one, one in my practice. He was one of six siblings. And the only way he can get noticed, because they were loud, they were, you know, he was the youngest, he had to please them. He was the pleaser. Mm. So, you know, it was not like he decided, okay, I'm three years old, I'm going to, let's see, let's see, uh, smart one's gone, strong one, cute one. <laughs> I'll take checklist? Pleaser. Yeah. It's subconscious. We just take what's, what happens. Because we, we test it out and, oh, that worked. You know, my father listened to me, my mother cool, I'm going to keep doing that. It's a subconscious pattern and we develop it. Now he's, you know, 51 and he's still doing it. He's still doing it. And he says, well, I'm not accepted unless I'm pleasing people. I'm not going to be loved, you know? And I said, that's not happening now. That's your subconscious. So this, this person was working for a large consulting firm and he, they told him, well, okay, um, you know, you keep working harder. We, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you to the next level, the next level. And he eventually burnt out doing this and he came to see me and i helped him understand this pleaser isn't isn't you now it's it's your old pattern this is your blind spot and he started seeing that and working with the pleaser from his true self and now he's actually developed a he left that consulting firm he developed his own his own con, uh, company he's developing now helping corporations recognize burnout early in their employees wow that's great and that's a wonderful way for him to give back and, and, and feel better about himself after he could lament it and say, oh, I blew it 10 years. What did I do that for? Why did I work for them? But he's turning it around this way. So he's recognizing these thoughts that he's having now. And people should recognize that your listeners, when they have thoughts now, I'm not good enough. I'm a, it's not happening now. It's actually happened years ago. It just rebroadcasts. So it sounds like it's now. Mm-hmm. And it's our own inner voice. So we can't tell it's from years ago. It just sounds like the same voice I've had for 20, 30, 40 years. Wow. That's, that's a great way to think about it, that it was basically just being rebroadcast in the present moment. That's so true. I mean, it's just, you know, I, and and I'm sure you can relate to this in your own journey. I've done so many different seminars and different things. And every time you learn something new, you're like, holy smokes, I can't believe like, this has been like, you realize where it's from and you're like, holy shit, was this, I'm still thinking this, you know? And then when you see it, it it loses its power obviously, because uh, you know, you bring attention to it, but it's amazing how these things just, how much of our life is really on autopilot. We have this sense of self that's pervasive through time that is conscious, whatever. But then, you know, that sense of self, you know, we feel, I don't know how to to say it correctly, but I feel like because we have this sense of self, it almost gives us this false sense of superiority in the sense that we have a sense of control over the world or our own, you know, 
decisions and things like that. But so much of what we think and do just runs on autopilot. And until you bring attention to that, it's superiority uh, or inferiority or inferiority. Yeah. People walk around thinking they're not as good as other people. Like, and they really think this, you know, uh, they believe this to their core that there's something wrong with them. And I tell them, you know, there's something wrong with everybody, me, everybody. (laughs) I'm not saying a little thing, a big thing. Everybody has their weaknesses. And they look at me like, really? No. Yes. I say, I talk to people, you know, out of work, people making 30,000 a year, people making 300,000 a year, people making a million a year. Guess what, Tudor? They all, all the have <laughs> the similar issues, all of yeah, them. Yeah. But the people making 30,000, you're saying, no, 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 I'm going to make money and I'm going to get rid of these problems. I, I say, it's confidential. I can't tell you their names, but no, you won't. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it was Jim Carrey that says, I wish... I wish people would get as wealthy and as, uh, do it, whatever I could, whatever I've done to realize this is not going to help. It's true. I mean, there's definitely, I used to have a, a lot of very wealthy clients when I was doing the dancing thing. And I mean, honestly, most of the time, unless they had earned their wealth, you know, through even then though, I mean, you, you have to be a little crazy to be ultra successful financially, honestly. I mean, you have to have some imbalance that, forces you to be ultra focused and ultra achievement oriented. So, I mean, ultimately even those people, but most of the time, the people who had had wealth either through marriage or through inheritance or something like that, I mean, uh, they were struggling, man. It was crazy. I mean, they were just so unhappy with certain things and, you know, they didn't have a gratitude practice. They did had a hard time, you know, with certain changes in their life that you couldn't control and I'm like, wow, you know, like that's the ultimate equalizer is really, you know, your own mind, you know. Yeah, definitely. We, we all have the mind, the, the, the subconscious. We all have 24 hours in the day. I don't care, you know, how much yeah. you have. We all have that. And if you don't get in charge of that, then you're not going to be happy. Like depression statistics is about equal across all social status, all of it. Wow, depression. really? And yeah, maybe a 1% difference. And even... Um, uh, uh, who was it that wrote Dan Butner wrote uh, the Blue Zones? He studied people all over the world. The happiest people were not the wealthiest always. Yeah. They, they, they had wealthier countries, but they weren't the wealthiest in that country. There were people that were doing what they love, their passions. They were people that connected the family, that people cared about and supported them. So I, I find that most people have one of these three major fears in their life. One is I'm not good enough. A big one, people talk about imposter syndrome all the time now. Yeah. Two, I'm not loved or lovable or lonely. That's a big one. And three, and some people with the third one have you know serious trauma in their past, is I'm not secure or safe. Mm-hmm. Most people have one of these. Some have two, some have all three. So I tell my clients, Okay, you look someone on the street, you know, they're beautiful, they're handsome, they, they're driving their Lamborghini. Just think to yourself, they have one of these three too. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, I, I uh, one of the seminars that I did a, a while ago is called Landmark. I don't know if you've heard about it, but yeah, yeah, uh, no Landmark. Lam- Landmark Forum. Yeah, they're, yep. they're pretty popular around the world. And they talk a lot about this stuff too. It's reminding me of some of the stuff I learned there now of basically how we develop these, you know, we, we all, like you said, you have these three different things. I'm not good enough. I'm alone. I'm not safe, you know, and you develop these um, almost like, like, I like how you said bodyguards, pretty much these, these identities or masks that are 
very uh, utilitarian, very useful to survive the pain right. of feeling alone. You know, like you might, you might be the funny kid in class. You might be the smart kid. Right. You, know, you, you might end up being the resourceful one, whatever, you know, the generous one. And that's so interesting when you realize like, wow, I'm being funny again. And that's not necessarily authentic. I'm just trying to survive the pain of feeling you, alone. You got <laughs> it. Just, and you, you got it. And, and, there's not, and I tell people there's nothing wrong with that. You're, you don't want to get rid of your funny part. That's great. Yeah. But you want to control it with your true self because these parts, these blind spots are not bad in and of themselves. They are childhood adapt, adaptations to our experience, our environment. If we had a father who was drunk and used to get angry and hit us, then withdrawing was actually a survival mechanism. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. The only problem is when you become an adult and you're not now – you can walk out of the house. You're not under anyone's control. A father, that's when it becomes a problem. But it beca- because it's a habitual, it's been with us so long, we think we cannot change it. So what I do is I help my clients understand and start seeing their true self to come forward and start managing these blind spots. That's great. And that's, man. What I, that's what I teach in my practice and my program. That's really cool. You wrote a book too, uh, which I love the title, by the way, live your dreams, doctor's orders. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. That when, uh, when did you write that? What inspired it? I was, when I was in my questioning phase at the end of the emergency uh, career, I was starting to think about, you know, other ways. And, um, like the world, I started talking to doing talks around my city about stress and stress at work and what you could do about it. But then I, I remembered the World Health Organization gave a quote where true health is not absence of disease. It's an emotional, physical, social energy you have. So mm. I'm thinking, I'm going to help these people with decreased stress, but there's got to be more than that for mental health. And I said, what about people, especially work, because I found work stress was one of the biggest issues when I, when I anecdotally questioned people. So what about people doing what they love? And I went on a three and a half year journey tutor between shifts, emergency shifts on my weekends, almost my, 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 my little uh, research project, interviewing people who would love what they were doing. Now it had to be love. It couldn't be, that's ah, okay, the money's good, no. I weeded those out in a survey I sent people ahead of time. And I interviewed these people over three and a half years, about a couple hundred people and 105 in depth. Wow. And it was a fascinating journey because, you know, you could think I was going to get tired on my weekends. No, they inspired me. They, yeah. they started companies. They, 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 one, one of them was, didn't like her work. So she said, I always love kids. So she's, she became a therapeutic clown at one of our biggest hospitals in Toronto, a therapeutic clown helping kids. Now they, they didn't have funding for this. So I love entrepreneurs. She said, that's okay. What if I bring my funding? And they said, sure. And that's what she did. Um, I, so I was inspired by these people. And I took 40 of the best stories over the three years. And I, uh, I published it um, to, to really show people it's possible. Like, this is my city. There, there's stories like this in your city. You know, all over the world, there's stories like this. It's not just unique to my city. I just wanted to show people you can do it. And these people didn't become movie stars or professional athletes. I perfectly stayed away from them because people might get cynical. Well, yeah, if I had their money, I'd be happy. So I took people around my city. Like I have a farmer in the book. Um, I have a person, a business coach, a person who is a, sh- a chef. 
a person who started his own camp, um, a drummer, all kinds of people in all areas yeah. of life. Um, one, one dude, shoeshine. Wow. Just interesting stuff and how they didn't help. And they were making money. It was not a hobby. These were all people making money from what they were doing. I had a, di- a person selling diamonds, a diamond um, owner, uh, a, a store owner. And he said he wasn't happy with that. He got all nervous. Someone's going to steal my diamonds. He'd go home every night sweaty and nervous. And he goes, what am I doing in my life? And he says, what do I love? And he did this. He, he taught me. And all these people taught me uh, some, of the, some of the tools I use now because I read into it what they were doing. And I made a program out of it. But he said, I found, I, I sat down. And I said, what do I love? And I came to Canada. He was from South Africa. So he came to Canada on one holiday. And he saw kids playing on the field and, and, and parents yelling at him and coaches. He goes, that's not the way you do it. You don't treat kids that way. Cause he was an athlete when he was younger. And he said, I could do a better way at coaching kids. You, you have kids have fun. You don't yell at them. You don't say you were wrong and you make them feel bad. Yeah. He opened up his own company in Canada. It's called Sportball, And he blew, blossomed from there. Now he's in, I think uh, every city, every, every major city in Canada, he's wow. in the United States, he's in four countries and he loves it. He, he comes to work looking forward to it. So these stories I wanted to print to show people you can do it too. It, it, there's nothing special about all these people. Like you have that in you. That's why I want it. The message is you have true self in you. You just have to mm-hmm. have a way to bring it forward. That's so cool. I love that stuff. It reminds me of some of actually some of the first interviews that I did for my podcast. Actually, I, I didn't know what to interview people about. So I just picked everybody who I knew that was very much, uh, you know, whatever, happy with their lives. Like you said, you know, finding people that are satisfied doing what they're doing and just interviewed them about that. And, and you really learn a lot, you know, it's really interesting how it's always, it's never one way. I, I don't believe transformation is one way. Even when you're teaching somebody and coaching them, you're always learning something and getting something back out of that. And so I always found that so fulfilling just to be able to, to see what other people are doing and why do they do what they do? I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm a why guy, you know, I've been asking why since I was a little kid. So <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, why yeah, does it, and if oh, you're interested in people, you yeah. know, it's, it's interesting. It makes an interesting life. I'm interested in people. I'm fascinated by how people yeah. do what they do. Why do you think people stay in jobs that they're dissatisfied with? I mean, great question. Yeah. Great question. Um, and there's so many answers I get when I asked that a lot at the beginning. And, you know, when I started my practice and the answers are all from their logical mind, you know, the, yeah. what they see around them. Cause you know, I, I can't, I, it's too late for me. I'm too old. Um, you know, who do I think I am? Who do you, I'm not better than everybody else that works here. Like they mm. play the, the guilt on themselves or I can't afford, I got a mortgage. I got a responsibility, Dr. Samuel. I can't just leave. And we tell ourselves these things, but they're really reasons, logical reasons, but they're not getting to the root. The root is what's your subconscious fear? What's your blind spot? You know, when I first meet people, they go, what? And I, you know, I help them, I explain to them and we get to the blind spot and that's what keeps them there. I got, I had this person right now in my practice, she works at a customer service, um, you know, those lots of people there and customer, a commu- big communication company, and they're answering phones all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and she's rough. under so much pressure, and she hates it. She hated it. And, then, and, I, and, I, and she was seeing me during, I said, okay, why don't you leave? 
Okay, obvious question. I asked just because I wanted to hear the thinking. And she says, um, no, I, oh, I can't leave because I need the money, all the stuff that people tell me. But I noticed every time she wanted to leave, she started getting anxious. She started getting short of breath. She started, mm-hmm. So then she's saying, look, I'm getting all this way. It must not be good to leave then. And I taught her, no, that's just your subconscious reaction to change. That doesn't mean it's not good. It's a childhood adaptation in you. So we work with that part. And we work with that part over and over again with true stuff. It takes some practice. <clears throat> and eventually she she gave notice and now, and I said, we worked on true self. What do you love to do? What do you love? Think of your passions. And we moved to her passions of feeling them and feeling her passions. And she loves dogs. And she started doing dog training on the, on the side while she was at the customer service. Cause I don't suggest just quit your job because yeah. people do have bills to pay. I say you could start as a side hustle. So she started doing dog training and now She's making some money and she's going to open up her own dog training business. That's her wow, passion. That's cool. So it's not what people say. It, 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 the things right in front of them. It's 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 the blind spots. And that's so. That's have, so go ahead. Oh, oh, go ahead. You're fine. <laughs> I, I want people to know that these blind spot, spots exist because obviously they're blind spots that so we don't talk about them usually. Yeah. No, I mean, I think blind spots, it's uh that's just an ever expansive realm. There's so many, right. And every time you have a new situation, even you feel like you um, I find there's like a transformation train that you go on is once you start embarking on this work, then you really, you know, uh, start looking within and all these things that we're talking about today, you, you have, you start getting ups and downs. And it reminds me of a, of a funny, I guess you could call it a quote, but basically something our, seminar leader told us, this is like probably six years ago when I did the landmark forum. Um, she said, you know, when we, when we graduate, she's like, I wish you more problems in life. <laughs> and we're all like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you wish us more problems, you know, or bigger problems it must've been or something like that. Right. And you know, she's like, you know, you're always going to have problems in life. But the, the reality is, is what kind of problems do you have? Do you have the kind of problems where somebody didn't like your Instagram picture, or do you have problems where you need to, you know, raise $10,000 for your fundraiser for starving children, you know, right. whatever, you know, there's different levels of problems. And so uh, it never ends, but I do find that there's an up and down to it where you, you have a breakthrough, you see this blind spot, you, you take some action, you take some change. And then, you know, you run into a different thing yeah. in that thing that challenges the blind spot again. You're like, oh crap, there's another level to this that I even see. Here it is again. It, you know, so it never really goes away. And I feel that in a way that's also a blessing because it allows us to practice. You know, I, I believe life is a practice. And so uh, having these sparring partners, you know, we, we don't like it when they take control, but having them as these these little problems that come up and that challenge us to be better, challenge us to look within gives us a life's practice which is what gives life its meaning yeah you're right and we all have problems we're all going to have problems and i i i know what she means that the the instructor you had and because the more you do in life the higher you get the more money you have the more responsibility you're going to have more problems yeah but it's a whole different game when you approach the problems from a blind spot or a bodyguard than when you approach a problem from true self it's like a day and night game yeah so i say it's okay to have problems just get into your true self and manage the blind spots and you can handle the problems with your true self. I even have a mantra. My, one of my mantras is discomfort is growth. 
So when I have something, I'm going through it, I'm feeling uncomfortable, but this is what I wanted to do, like doing podcasts or taking a new project on. I say to myself, all right, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Good. I'm growing. It must mean I'm growing. So that mantra helps me confront the problems and go for it. Because think about it, growth. Think of any kid growing up. They, they have problems. They, they go through discomfort. And we don't say, okay, you know what? Standing's too hard. Just keep <laughs> kneeling and keep kneeling on the ground and keep sitting. We're not going to get you to stand because that's uncomfortable for a kid to fall down and try to walk. We never say that. But in adults, we somehow say, you know what? You should be happy with that job. You don't like it, but you're making some money. Just stay there. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny how we find excuses for things that it's, uh, you know, it's such a fun exercise to, I remember this exercise now that I'm thinking about it. They were telling us uh, to write a list of reasons why you're doing something. And, you know, you write this list of reasons and then you say, okay, throw the list out. Now write another list of more reasons. <laughs> and so after a while, you know, people are like, why the hell are we doing this? You know, it's like, and that's when they get it, that you could come up with reasons forever. You could literally come up with another, whether it's good or bad reasons, doesn't matter. The point is, is you could constantly justify what you're doing. And so, right. uh, you know, it's just so funny how the mind can run away right. on you. Yeah. So that's why when I work with people with even uncovering their true self, their dream, their custom fit business, I called it. Um, go with the, I say, I really focus on the emotions, not the thinking, not the reasons. I go, what do you feel? Do your feeling homework, do your feeling assignment, do it with your feelings. They go, huh? I go, I know it takes a while getting used to, but you have to feel if you're pulled towards it with your body, if you're on the balls of your feet, if you're energized, mm. that's go with that. If you're not, pull back from that. And I have a client now who's worked in the government, uh, provincial government, like your state government for 20 years. And she never liked it, never entered. No one's really, everybody's really, you know, lax a days ago. They're, they're not inspired and she's an inspiring woman. So I'm helping her find what she wants to do. And, and she came down to three choices, but as she's feeling this, as we go into the process, I teach, and three choices. And she says, which one should I do, Dr. Sam? I go, all right, tell you what you do. I want you to video yourself talking about these three choices. And then we'll play back the video in my office and we're not gonna listen to, we're gonna turn down the volume because it doesn't matter what you say, we're gonna watch your energy. Mm. And that is gonna help you decide which one you should do. Wow, that's interesting. And she did, because we, we, we think too much. We talk too much. Our body, our energy, our emotions will give us clues. And that's the blind spots. That's the true self. And it just so, it's so interesting helping people like this. And I want to get the word out. I want other people to know this because it's often not discussed. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Really good stuff. One more, one more question for you, buddy. What, what are you most right. grateful for today? Well, I'm grateful to you, Tudor. I'm grateful that you gave me a platform so I could spread this word and, and, and really inform people that they are just as worthy as other people in life. They, they may, I, you know, I don't hold idols anymore. I used to look up to people and I remember looked up to one person and he really disappointed me in one area of ethics. And I said to myself, when I was like 28 or 29, I said, no more, no more. I think other people are better than me. I'm just as good in some area, they're better than me in some. So I learned from him in one area, but ethically, I'm, I'm equal and better than him in other areas. And everybody, everybody listening to this has that special area that they're good and better than me 
in, in areas better than you. We all have that. And to, do, to get there, we need to understand and see the blind spots because we, we, we have to really pay attention to our own potential. And, and, I, I, and that is growing. I find it is growing bigger and bigger. And that's my passion of getting that word out. And thank you so much. I'm grateful to you for allowing me the space to do it. Alright, well I hope you enjoyed that episode with my friend Dr. Sam. You know, life is too short to stay stressed. And I, I use the word stay here very intentionally because it's impossible to avoid being stressed. You know, something's always going to stress you out. But the question is, how long do you choose to stay there? And what are the tools and things that you use on a daily basis to get yourself out of stress? Because you'll burn out. You know, burnout is inevitable in the world. Everybody goes through it at some point in, in another and when you do go through it, it's important also to realize that it's a tool. You know, burnout is a tool in the sense that it teaches a spiritual tool. It teaches you very important lessons about maybe what you should have done better, you know, how you should have acted, how you should have not acted. All these things are very important because once we burn out, we start to question, you know, our methods. And that's a very important thing to do. So either way, you know, treat it as a win-win. If you are currently feeling burned out and tired, Use it as an opportunity to look and see, you know, where was I allowing too much in my life? Where was I saying, where was I not saying no enough? You know, where was I going overboard? Where was I not taking enough breaks? Where was I not, you know, uh, taking care of my body? These are all uncomfortable things because they're essentially about taking more accountability and looking at where we dropped the ball, but it will lead you to a wiser and smarter approach to your life. Hope that's helped. Don't forget to check out the work stress test that Dr. Sam put together. So you want to take that and kind of start that whole inquisitive process. I was going to say inquisition, but that's a little heavy term. But if you want to start that whole inquisitive process where you're starting asking yourself the heavier heavier questions, excuse me, then go check it out. I'll put a link for it on the episode again. It's episode 263. Go to danceoflife.com slash podcast. Let's not forget good old Ralph Waldo Emerson taking it away for us. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. You already have everything that you need to succeed on this planet and this life. You have to realize that, you know, all these different things that we learn and grow and stuff, they're great. But you have to some point realize that you have everything that you need within you. You just have to make a habit of looking within so that you can find it. Because when you're not looking within, you don't see it, right? A tree exists, but if I'm not looking at it, it's not in my field of view. And so you have to look at what's inside and make a habit of doing that. And the more you do that, the more life will just figure itself out. I hope that served you. hope that's opened up something for you today. Thanks so much for listening as always, and I hope you have an awesome rest of your day, awesome rest of your weekend. Enjoy it, be healthy, relieve some stress, and we'll see you on Tuesday for a little Transformation Tuesday. Don't forget, 
Your life is a dance, so go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.